Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Abbasi. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and stroke survivor. Today is Plank Challenge Day number 23, and I hope that you guys are strong and you're just so excited to keep going. Um, If you are striving to do three minutes this month, you are at 140 seconds, 140 seconds for three minutes. And if you're striving to reach five minutes by the end of the month, you are at 180 seconds. So good luck with that today. Um, So today's episode... I want to talk about leading by example, Um, and I believe that this is really the best gift that we can give our kids, Um, so I wanted to talk about that, and throughout all of this recovery stuff, I really keep wowing myself, honestly, Um, not to boast or brag, but there are so many lessons that I've been learning. through all the trials of overcoming addiction, maintaining that sobriety when things get really tough, and now working through the pain and the disability and the disorders that resulted from my stroke. The transformation that I have been experiencing, it's not just for myself. Um, it's a demonstration to for those who are watching me, especially my kids. Um, that's what I want. I want to get as much as I can out of my suffering. <laughs> I want to be able to give as much as I can to anybody who will listen so that the most people possible can learn from my suffering so that nobody else has to go through it. You know, I know they will, but um, if I can squeeze as much as possible uh, out of what I'm learning and share it with others, then it's making me happy. And hopefully I'm benefiting others' lives and it will make them happy in the long run. So, what I have now, my serenity that I get to experience so much and the joy that I get being present in my life is really the result of every challenge that I have faced. Um, It's undoubtedly worth every ounce of pain that I went through. And, And here's why. The thought that my experiences could potentially shield my kids from similar pain is the biggest motivator for me. And I would do it all over again if it meant I could save them from these same experiences. Um, Unfortunately, that's not how it works. (laughs) So the best I can do is show them how to survive something like what I'm going through, how to survive and thrive, how to be joyful even when things suck um, through adversity. So after I got sober, I 
I, I was thinking about this today. I slowly began to find new ways to have fun without drinking. Before sobriety, I thought I was sure that life was over. You know, I thought the fun was over. Um, I'm going to have to grow up. I'm going to have to start adulting. Well, that was true. <laughs> but I'm going to have to stiffen up. No more fun. And that is just not true. Um, I was so wrong. I was blind. Um, my tea parties, for example, are one of my favorite things to do. And I got to have one today to celebrate my wedding. And the people who came were um, my mom and my sister and my new mother-in-law and my new sister-in-law and um, a couple friends and then all of the uh, my kids and their significant others and um, and my niece of course and uh, and her best friend so this is a perfect example of just how much fun I was missing out on when I was drinking. Because when I was drinking, I would have been around just as many people, but I was not really present. Um, I, I, if you would have asked me, I would have been like, yeah, I'm totally present here. But I wasn't. I wasn't really me. I was drunk me. And I thought drunk me was me because I was drunk all the time. So I thought that that was me. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't me. I like this me so much better than that me. And um, the tea party was so much fun. Side note, uh, I did a little sh a, a little speech. I, I didn't plan for it. It just felt right. So I did a little, um, you know, gratitude. Thank you um, for all the support and everything. And then my daughter actually did a speech. She was my, um, my maid of honor. So of course we didn't have a, a ceremony, um, with anyone. So it was just the two of us when we had our ceremony. So she got to, um, be my maid of honor at the tea party and it was super adorable, but she gave a speech and, um, she cried. I cried. We all cried. We laughed. We cried. It was really great. I have to tell you, it was so moving. I had such a fantastic time and I'm so entirely grateful for the people that are in my life. Um, it means so much to me to be able to do something like that. Do I feel terrible? Yes, I feel absolutely terrible right now. I'm doing the podcast with my eyes closed um, because it's just, you know, I've, I've gone, I went too far because that's what I do. I made um, I'm totally taking a tangent. It's okay. You guys love when I do that. <laughs> um, I made everything for the party. So I started like three days ago and I made the biggest hit of the party were Mexican wedding cookies. Those were the biggest hit. And I also made sugar cookies and snickerdoodles. I made a chickpea salad uh, for finger sandwiches, and I made cucumber and cream cheese with 
dill and chives, little finger sandwiches, and I made blueberry scones. So yes, <laughs> I'm beat. And it's, you know, um, I shouldn't have done all of that, but I wanted to. And Lord knows, like, you can't stop me when I want to do something. And um, so uh, my husband uh, just watched me kind of torture myself. But um, but I had fun, and I will suffer the consequences and probably have to nap a bit over the next few days. So um, really had fun, and, and it's just a perfect example of how, uh, how much fun I can have sober now, and I'm so grateful that I can do that. Um, so back to the episode at hand. So now I'm pushing myself even further. Once again, you know, I'm again finding this parallel between my sobriety and my stroke recovery. And I recognize today that it's a similar situation again, where now I'm realizing that um, I can have fun doing things a different way without my eyes, right? So um, I talked about, I think I've mentioned, yeah, that uh, by March 15th, I'll be turning over to voiceover 100% on my digital devices. And um, when I was just reading over the script right before I hit record, I, I read that line that says, I'll be turning, turning over to voiceover 100%. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm turning it over. I'm 100% accepting. That's what's happening. And I'm turning it over. And um, it, I, I don't know if you're feeling the same goosies as me, but it's really I'm practicing a true surrender to my disability. That's what's happening. And that's really a beautiful thing. I mean, it doesn't feel beautiful. But um it will. It will feel beautiful when I stop fighting, you know, when I stop fighting myself internally. So I'll be learning to embrace the digital world without the burden of my post-stroke symptoms. I'll be opening doors that I think I've never paid attention to and having fun using my senses a little differently than I have throughout my life, you know, I'll be relying on my ears uh, to ingest information much more than I ever have. Uh, I've already been learning how to be a better listener because I don't have a choice, but um, I'll be trusting my trusting ingesting things audibly. And I think that that's one area that um, I got really frustrated about probably six months ago as I was starting to really use voiceover on my phone. Um, I kept having the wrong, like showing up for my appointments on the wrong day and stuff like that. But 
I think that I was also dealing with uh, another layer of cognitive uh, dysfunction, like um, all of that language and speech stuff was really heightened back then. And it seems like it's settled down a bit. So I'm just gonna, you know, I'm not going to give up. And um, I'm going to take things slow. I'm going to be patient. Just this morning, um, I logged on to my sobriety meeting using voiceover. So I didn't look at my phone at all. I was able to go to Zoom, find the meeting, join the meeting, add the passcode to enter the meeting, and then I listened to the meeting throughout the whole meeting, uh, muting and unmuting myself uh, without having yet with having a screen curtain, which means that my screen was black. So um, it's the second time I've done that, and I felt much more confident this time. The first time I did it was back uh, like six months or so ago when I was feeling a little more frustrated and vulnerable and stuff like that. So not that I'm feeling terribly confident, but I'm getting there. Um, Yeah, so I'm pretty proud of myself for doing that, and I'll just continue to do that. So so here's the actual focus of the episode. I've gone on like 20 million tangents, and I'm going to go on another one real quick. My sister, uh, so she was at the tea today, and she's been a avid an avid lifetime listener meaning she's been listening for eight months I think I don't know sissy if you've been listening for the whole eight months or what but I know that she's listening a lot right now and what was I gonna say oh she said that she was driving in the car with my brother-in-law and he said she (laughs) I think it was something like she knows how to talk or she's a good talker or something like that. And I was like, I mean, I just keep running my mouth. I don't don't know. She said they were talking about whether I have it all word for word written out in front of me. And I don't, I don't have it word for word written out in front of me. I write uh, just like a skeleton for myself, almost like a blog. I'll write out, but I don't read from the, from the, uh, from the script. It's just more of a guide because um, I've just spent so many times losing my train of thought uh, because of the cognitive thing, kind of like what everybody does where you're just like, what was I saying? You know, what's the word? It's, It's the same exact thing. It's just like exaggerated. It just happens constantly. Um, it happens in conversation and it's just, uh, it makes me get so frustrated and like, I swear I have a hot flash when it happens. Um, so anyway, um, why was I saying, why was I saying that? Oh, uh, because they were just, she was telling me at the tea that, um, I, I don't know. I talk a lot. I am a good talker. I I took it as a compliment. So <laughs> I don't I don't care. Okay. So here we go. Um the folk the actual focus of the episode. This is a fun one, huh? I'm going all over the place. Our kids. That's the focus. So even as they grow into young adults, you know, I was sitting at the tea 
today and all of these young adults were sitting in the living room with us. And it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful to watch them. Um, But they are always watching us. And they see how we interact with the world, how we take care of ourselves, how we navigate the stuff in our lives. And sure, they may be staring at their phones the whole time, but they are paying attention in some fifth dimensional way that these kids these days are able to be on their phone constantly staring at the phone, but they're still paying attention. (laughs) Who knows? But they are absorbing our actions and our attitudes and our resilience in ways that we don't notice. And sometimes, sometimes I think my daughter is just paying attention to what I'm doing so that if I do something wrong, she can hold it against me when she does the same thing. And then she's like, you did it. (laughs) But um, I kid. But from the way, so this really resonates with me. The way we talk to ourselves in the mirror. And I used to make it a point when my kids were younger to say positive things about myself in the mirror. Like, oh, this looks so nice. Or, oh, I love my hair today. Or I would like make compliments about myself in the mirror because I wanted them to do the same thing. I did that. Um, And I'm really happy that I did that because I feel like it worked. And um, so anyway, they look at that stuff and and how we are nurturing our own self-esteem. They're watching that. And the respect that we show for our belongings and our home. Um, I don't know how much of that I displayed when I was drinking. I know that our home, you know, I kept it clean and stuff. I cleaned a lot. But as a 49-year-old, I clean surface levels that I didn't even pay attention to back then. And maybe it was because I didn't have a lot of time being a single mother of two. You know, um, even when I was married, I just had other priorities. And um, but they look at that, you know, and, and it translates into how they take care of their stuff a lot of times. Every action that we do is a display of how to do things. You know, it's a lesson. Um, How we manage our time, how we uh, manage our relationships, our emotions. They're all like chapters in this manual that we are unwittingly writing for our children. And they're reading it. It's just happening and we don't even really pay attention to it. And I've discovered that by that parenting by example, both in big monumental things that happen in my life and in little everyday moments, the choices that I make to live authentically, to talk about what's going on on the inside of me to make those choices like choosing happiness and choosing gratitude that I talk about 
to clear away the junk, you know, um, I have a, you know, they see me clearing away all of this junk and they see somehow I surface joy. You know, how does that happen? They're watching that. And to show that emerging from the darkness is possible and it's worth every step when you're smiling on the other side of it all. And it's not easy. And I've made a ton of mistakes. And I have ups and downs. These days I have ups and downs um, every day. You know, one day I'm up, one day I'm down. And um, But it's possible. It's possible. And I really, I suppose it's exemplifying hope in all circumstances. Um, and it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of courage to face these circumstances with or without hope. You know what I mean? Um, so to my kids and all young adults watching their parents navigate life, Know that they are doing the best they can. They are doing the best that they know how to do. And I learned this lesson early in sobriety as I was facing all of my ugly stuff. You know, all the stuff in my dark place that I talk about. I learned, so I, people in my sobriety fellowship told me, my psychiatrist or my uh, addiction therapist told me, parents do the best they can. They do the best they know how with what they've been given throughout their lives. And they're acting on what they have learned in their life. As much as you may deny it, kiddos, <laughs> Our parents lived a whole entire lifetime before we came around and gained a lot of experience, a lot of strength, and a lot of hope to share with us. And I am the biggest culprit of this. I just didn't believe it or something when I was growing up. It's like I didn't, I didn't believe that my mom lived a whole entire life before me. You know, I was, when I see my daughter doing the same thing to me, and I say my daughter uh, because I real honestly, I haven't seen my son do this, <laughs> but like I had to learn things by doing them. I couldn't have my mom tell me, you know, this is what happened to me when I was your age. And this is how I resolved it. Like, I was not willing to hear that. I had to make the mistake on my own. And I'm not saying that my daughter's always making mistakes. I'm not saying any of that. But I, I it seems like, I guess just because she's a female, that we talk about some of these things that, you know, well, this is what happened to me. And, and this is how I resolved it. And and take it or leave it, you know? And a lot of times I, I believe that we leave it. 
<laughs> and um, and that's okay. I mean, it's okay. That's how I had to do things, um, unfortunately, but fortunately, you know, because I learned it instilled things deeper in me when I learned it by doing it. Um, so the where was I what was I talking about here so um so that's all that our parents can give us you know what they have been exposed to and what they have learned from it. So the key is our parents are doing the best they can or did the best they can. Um, And to the parents, the greatest gift, again, that I feel like we can offer our kids is the example of our own lives. And these are lives filled or lived fully and bravely and with abundance of love and respect for ourselves. I feel like self-care is, is a big thing that um, I, I feel like I had that focus in our household about taking care of ourselves. But, I mean, you guys know what I did. So I wasn't taking care of myself. I thought I was because I was blind. Um, You know, I was taking, I I talked to them about my anxiety um, because they experienced similar stuff. So we talked about it. But yet, as much as I thought that I was leading by example, I wasn't. I was doing everything wrong. I was drinking and taking my medication with what, which wasn't going to work. And a lot of other stuff, you know, I just... I thought that I was leading by example. I thought that I was doing things that um, were going to be the best for my kids to see. And they just weren't, you know. But I did the best that I knew how. I was doing the best with what I was given. And I'm an alcoholic. And I was doing the best that I could as an alcoholic. Um, And I'm not trying to give myself, give an excuse, but... It's just what it is, you know? I hate saying this, but it is what it is. I hate that. I hate that saying. Um, So we spend so much time, I think, when our kids are young, teaching them, you know, how to brush their teeth, how long to brush their teeth, how to make sure they wash all their parts in the shower, you know? But remember that how we take care of our emotional and mental well-being takes a premier spot as they reach adulthood in how they watch us. And the best way that I have found to reach my kids, to show them how to take care of themselves, is by being the best version of me that I can be. And you know, I've already laid the foundation for them. I can't go back and change it. I can't. But what I can do is show them this is this is what I've faced and this is how I handled it. And this is the joy that I have in my life right now. Um, 
So tomorrow, I'm going to give a lot more examples. Tomorrow, I'm going to talk about how we lead by example. I want to talk about being transparent and educating kids by example rather than by lecturing. And I'm not trying to come off as some, I know how to, I'm the best parent in the world. <laughs> I'm just talking about what I've learned. That's what this whole podcast always is. This is what Rachel has learned in her life. And I want to talk about how I've learned from my kids how to parent them. How, uh, and also uh, going to quite a few uh, psychiatrists, or not psychiatrists, therapists, um, about being transparent. You know, sometimes, especially in the stroke recovery lately, I went through this period, I guess it was the first year after my stroke, where I didn't want to talk about the pain that I was in to anyone, really. Um, But I really didn't want to talk to the kids about it because I didn't, I wanted to save them from being afraid that mom is in pain or something's wrong with mom or mom's not going to survive or something like that. I was trying to save them. But what I learned is that I was showing them how to not talk about being in pain. You know, I I wasn't showing them the way that I want them to act. I want them, if they're suffering, I want them to talk to somebody. It doesn't have to be me. I would love for it to be me. But um, I wasn't doing that for myself. And I want to talk about that tomorrow. And modeling physical and emotional self-care, this emotional intelligence thing that everybody's talking about, and living a life with purpose and passions and being of service to others. So I, um, what they're looking at and what we do from those respects. So by leading by example in these ways, I think that we enrich our own life and we set a powerful, positive precedent for our children and show them that adversity can lead to growth and can be met with courage. Um, Coincidentally, and I was talking about this a little earlier, one can have courage without hope and vice versa. Because I was sitting here thinking, courage and hope, can I, like, are those, what's the word, synonymous? Um, I know they're not, but I was, I, I was trying to figure out the relationship between courage and hope. And so one can hope for a better future yet may not have the courage to take the steps necessary to realize that hope. Conversely, one can may have the courage to face difficult situations without necessarily having the hope that there's going to be a positive outcome. 
And I don't experience both hope and courage at the same time on a lot of days. Um, But that's what I seek. I seek hope and courage. Um, In the context of recovery, hope might be what keeps someone looking forward, believing in the possibility of healing and a better life, whatever better means. Um, Courage is what enables a person to take each step towards recovery to face pain. You know, take the step even though it might hurt. Um, and do the hard work required to change. If I can show my kids how together courage and hope propel me forward, then my hope is that they will use my story to elicit the same thing out of themselves. So that's what I have for you today. Um, I know I was all over the place. It's fun. (laughs) Thank you for joining me today on the Recovery Daily Podcast. I will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.